this is Tom Powell with the Life Beat Podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I take over take over Anna's podcast once a month. And so I'm here today, I'm here with Pastor Doug Barnes. Do people normally call you Pastor Doug or Reverend, Reverend Barnes? Either works. All right. Um, we're going to call you Pastor Doug or Pastor Barnes. I usually call pastors pastor. So that's what I'm used to saying. All right, Pastor, thank you for being here with me today. My privilege. Pastor, we're going we're gonna to talk about some questions. Now, I gave this, uh, this pastor a heads up on some of the questions that we're going to talk about today. We'll talk about the usual stuff, abortion and so on, but also toward the end of the podcast or, or maybe toward the middle of the podcast, we're going to talk about a couple of theological questions. Uh, and so I, uh, I presented these questions to Pastor Barnes here. Uh, we're going to see what he has for us today. Before we do, though, Pastor, could you introduce yourself uh, and tell us uh, about your church uh, and about what you do? And uh, just a little bit of background about yourself, and then we'll, we'll jump right into the questions. Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Doug Barnes. I am pastor of Grace United Reformed Church in uh, rural Alto. I've been here for about two years. Uh, I've been a minister for, oh, about 18 years. Um, before here, I was in Iowa and, uh, and then in Minnesota before that. Um, married to Grace, we have six children. Our youngest is uh, is thirteen, and and we're expecting our first grandchild. And uh, originally from Western Pennsylvania, I used to be a newspaper reporter, and um, the Lord was gracious to rescue me from journalism. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so uh, and here we are. Um, okay, so he uh, he rescued from journalism. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, I um, I didn't really have any designs on becoming a minister. I just always liked the idea of of being in the know, mm-hmm. investigating what's going on, and and you know, of course, as a young man, you like chasing fire trucks and and finding out what what politically is going on, and and that was a lot of fun. God mm-hmm. used that to uh, to mature me. Um, and uh, and to get me married because my wife is a preacher's <laughs> kid who would never marry a minister, um, but well, no. you, well, you pulled all you pulled a fast one on her, didn't you? Well, the Lord did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he, uh, the Lord just kind of worked it in my heart that I needed to be changing directions. So here we are. Well, um, I can uh, speak to that as well in my own life. Had some big. Uh, big direction changes lately as well, uh, but we won't get into we won't get into my story right now. We'll we'll focus on you for now. Uh, so uh, you mentioned that the church is here in Alto. For somebody who's not from around here, they're from some other part of Michigan. Can you describe kind of where Alto is? Yep, uh, kind of the rural area southeast of Grand Rapids. Um, yeah, just uh, actually just a bit south of uh, of Route Six and. Uh, and east of 37. So we're kind of out in the country. We we enjoy it there. We're near enough to civilization that we can get there, but we enjoy the, the country too. Yeah, I like this spot. I wish this was like video recorded so you folks could see out the window, but um, we're, we're just outside of what, you know, more developed town, but you feel like you're in the middle of the country. It's really nice. Um, Pastor, uh, you mentioned that you were doing reporting before mm-hmm. um, and that you liked kind of following what's going on. Uh, I imagine you've continued to follow what's going on oh, yeah. uh, since becoming a pastor. And, uh, and I think that's really important that pastors um, pay attention to what's going on in, in real life mm-hmm. and are able to communicate to their churches. 
what uh, what they should be doing according to God's word. Uh, and so I, I know that you're well aware of current developments in Michigan mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to reproductive freedom for all and their proposed amendment. Uh, I didn't mean to get into this because I, I cover this on pretty much every every time I'm on the podcast, <laughs> but, but uh, could you go ahead and maybe uh, share what, a little bit about what you know about that and, uh, and how pastors should maybe communicate that to their churches? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I've been struck lately. I think I just heard Mike Rowe say something about this, that nowadays you can tell um, what a given bill or... Um, especially from from certain directions in the political spectrum, you can tell what a bill is aimed at doing or what a movement is aimed at doing by just taking the opposite of what it's named. (laughs) Um, And we certainly see that in Michigan right now. Um, I think uh, there is a a spiritual war happening in Lansing. Um, It's probably one of the, the most spiritually darkened places right now in in some sectors. I don't mean to slander the whole city of Lansing, but, you know, um, (laughs) Satan attacks in the political realm. Certainly saw that in in Iowa, that there was a battle in Des Moines. And, um, you know, I get weary, very weary, of evangelical and and increasingly Reformed ministers saying, well, we need to be gospel-centered, and meaning by that, we need to not avoid, talk about politics at right, all. Right, avoid politics yeah. and avoid the morality of real life. And I think that's a cop-out. It's a way that they can try to avoid uh, offending anyone. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The The gospel is the truth of God's word applied to all of life. You know, at the heart of it is salvation through Christ. But if we're saved in Christ, he wants to be Lord of all. And Abraham Kuyper once famously said that uh, there is not one square inch of life over which Christ has not declared, this is mine. Yeah. You know, and if a minister is following after the example of the apostles, you know, Paul said that he faithfully applied God's word, the, the whole counsel of God's word, both in public and in private. And that's what we're called to do. And that means that, that we need to help our people understand how to vote, not necessarily advocating a particular candidate, but informing them of the morality of what kind of people we should be exalting over the land and what kind of laws we should be working toward and how we should be calling our fellow citizens to um, to pursue morality, to pursue godliness, how we should be holding our leaders accountable. That's it. I think if we're not doing that as ministers, we're failing. Sure. And I would say that as Americans and as American Christians, we are doubly or perhaps triply accountable Mm -hmm. to do what's right because we elect our leaders. Right. So we can't say, oh, it's these bad politicians who have driven our country into the ground. No, we picked our leaders. Right. And if we picked wrong, that's on us. And so we do have to take things seriously. And then as you were talking, kind of a question uh, that I suppose each one of us, you, me, and the listener should all ask ourselves is, is Jesus allowed to touch my politics? Right. Well, is, you know, it's it's silly. We get this stupid trope about separation of church and state, um, but that's an extrapolation of the first, the, the first Amendment that was not intended. You know, there's the First Amendment was intended to keep the state from establishing a particular branch of the Christian church as the official church. 
But that doesn't mean, and never was intended to mean by our fathers, that our religion plays no role in our politics. In fact, um, in the early, in the colonies, um, when they first became states, it was really commonplace for ministers to preach election day sermons. <laughs> you know, the day before election day, they would they would have a special worship service to pray that God would give guidance and wisdom to the citizens in the way they cast their votes, and they would help their people to understand the criteria they should use in selecting their ministers. That was commonplace. It was actually considered in, in many of the uh, early states that your minister was really slacking off. He didn't do that kind of thing. I did not know that. That's yeah. actually really interesting. And it's, you know, that, that really shows you how far we've come in a very bad direction that we have so many ministers who won't touch politics or public life with a 10-foot pole. Well, and I think what I do know that there were certain denominations in early American history that were very opposed to all political involvement. They were opposed to voting and so on. And perhaps that over time, these two drastically different views have kind of meshed into one. That was and a, the pacifist, the pious, I don't say pious, that's like a as a, a derogative term. It's, it, it was not always a negative term. To say pious just means to be devout. Right. It's the kind of pious attitude, though, of um, I don't involve myself in worldly affairs kind of won over a lot of American minds in yeah. more recent Originally, history. that was an Anabaptist thing. Um, we saw that in Pennsylvania in the Quakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some of the, by Anabaptist, I mean like the, the Amish, the Mennonites, that sort of thing. Um and, and they had a, a pietistic attitude that said they, they wanted to be separated from the world. And that was their particular theological leaning, but that was very much a minority opinion throughout history. Well, sure. And even if you look at their history, it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of like, well, we just think it's wrong to be involved in politics. No, you have to understand when the Anabaptist movement came about. Right. The Anabaptist yep. movement came about during a time when their denomination in particular was being oppressed by governments that favored particular denominations. So they said, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want uh, the church and uh, the church and the government to mix on any level because they had a bad experience. Well, with they that. were they were trying to preserve themselves, yeah. right? It but, wasn't, you know, in yeah. America that doesn't make sense, and biblically it doesn't make make sense. We are called to um, you know hold that standard of God's law up before the leader. You know, you think of of David and Nathan. David's the magistrate; he's the king. He's kind of the the chief of the government, roughly equivalent to our president and beyond. And the prophet, Nathan, comes alongside of him, and Nathan wasn't the only one, and confronts him when he mm. sinned yeah. and urges him to follow after the way of, of righteousness. And when David has a, a big plan, um, Nathan he consults with Nathan concerning whether that's according to God's will. And the church has that same calling today mm-hmm. to come alongside the magistrate and help him understand what is righteous, what is right, and what is wrong, and when he goes astray, we're called to call them back. Right. You know? Uh, you, you can think of more examples. I think you and I have discussed this in person before, just the idea of John the Baptist. What was yep. he arrested for? For right. confronting a politician who was immoral. Right. Uh, and interestingly, it wasn't even about the law that he was, he was upholding. It was about his personal life. He was, you know, John the Baptist recognized, as the church has recognized throughout the ages, that you can't separate the personal from the the public life. Hmm. You know, um, so many of our politicians say, well, I'm personally opposed to abortion. However, legally, 
That's baloney. You know, John the Baptist got nailed for telling Herod, your relationship with your wife is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you weren't allowed to marry that woman. It was immoral, and, and you need to repent of that. And because he recognized that his personal morality affects the way he acts as a magistrate. Mm. And that as long as he's living that immoral life, he can't morally guide the people of the nation. And we need to recover that. And that's not, by the way, just the calling of ministers. I think it's the calling of ministers, uh, Ephesians 4 says, to help equip the people of God for the works of ministry, which means it's the, the work of God's people to go and respectfully, honorably, urge the magistrate to turn into the way of righteousness. Hmm. Amen. Well, hey, I want to I want to briefly switch gears, make sure. sure we have time to get to the the questions. Uh, so this one kind of uh, takes us away from what we were just talking about, as far as um, how Christians should be involved with uh, with politics and how they should interact with their leaders, uh, and rather as it relates to abortion, how Christians should interact with uh, the people who are committing abortion, whether it be. Uh, whether it be a doctor who's doing, carrying out an abortion or a woman who's considering abortion. So this question is, uh, what do you think are some of the reasons that women choose abortion? And obviously I say reasons, not reason, mm-hmm. because each individual has their own reason. Right. But what are, do you think are some of the, the leading reasons? You know, I, I think there are two very different um, approaches that bring women to abortion. Um, and, and our approach to them has to be very different according to the reason that leads them. You know, one is, is fear. Mm. Um, I think that drives a lot of women. I've seen that, you know, all of a sudden pregnancy, pregnancy can be a great gift from God to an unmarried woman Hmm. by which I mean, you know, sex outside of marriage is sinful. And it brings consequences. But a lot of those consequences we can't see immediately, you know, because they're, they're things like a hardening of, of the heart and a deepening of one's selfishness and a drawing away from God. And those are intangible. You don't see those. Babies are tangible. Pregnancy is tangible. And so it can be a, a real wake-up call. But it's a wake-up call that terrifies them because suddenly they're confronted with the consequence of their sin that they're not going to be able to hide. Yeah. You know, and fearing that consequence, even though they know in their heart, this is a baby, um, their fear is so overwhelming mm-hmm. that they're willing to do their best to put it out of their mind that they're killing a child because they're so terrified of what's going to happen. And and frankly, that can happen in the church. I think we as as a church or as churches, we need to be careful, especially ministers and elders we need to be careful that we don't so vehemently condemn abortion um, and and uh, hear, well, hear carefully what else. I say this, that we don't so vehemently attack sexual immorality that we cause our women to feel like, you know what, it would actually be better to commit abortion than to come and confess this sin to my pastor or to my elders. Um, Woe to us if that happens. Mm -hmm. We need to condemn sexual immorality, condemn certainly abortion, but also remind them that there is forgiveness and that they can come to us and we will stand alongside them and walk that path of repentance and provide for their needs. 
So that fear is one side, and that we have to greet with compassion and love and help. Um, the church should rally around a woman who is finds herself pregnant outside of marriage and confesses that. Well, know? and there's an interesting parallel that you've kind of already brought up with David and Nathan. Yep. Good people do this. Yep. Now, David didn't kill his baby, but David added murder yeah. to the because sin of, the of, fear of, of it adultery. Being found and, and exactly. the desire to cover it. He committed adultery. There was uh, a unwanted pregnancy, and yep. he decided to kill someone. Right. And was David a bad man? Generally speaking, no. Uh, we can point out some other mistakes he made in his life, but n- no time for that right now. But generally speaking, David was a good man who loved the Lord and wanted to do the right thing. Nevertheless, when he was confronted with the consequences of his sin, mm-hmm. he decided to kill. And that fear led to a hard-heartedness, which led to a deepening of sin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the other side, however, and I, I think... Hold on, I, I oh, want to no, always make sure we talk about the solution. Yeah. So, this is the problem. The mm-hmm. problem is fear. At yeah. least that's one of the problems. Um, and that, that, I think, covers a multitude of the reasons. The sure. fear could be... I'm not going to be able to financially succeed. Oh, That's yeah. a fear. It could be my Christian parents will be disappointed in me. That's a fear. And those are two very different kinds of fear. Yep. But fear covers a, a wide variety of reasons. So now we identify one of the chief problems. Mm-hmm. What is the solution? I think the solution is is manifold um, in that it's not just one solution. Mm. You know, as a minister, I need to be preaching grace. I need to be reminding our people the name of that, your church yeah the name <laughs> of our church that I need to re- be reminding people that um, when you repent of your sin there's forgiveness from the Lord and there's acceptance by God's people and we need to be modeling that you know when we have uh, a person who comes to us who has fallen into that sin we need to forgive them and love them and care for them but that also includes caring for them you know in our church we have ministers, elders, and deacons, and the deacons lead the people in serving. So if um, that young lady comes to us and she says, I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do, I can't afford this baby, um, where am I going to turn? Well, we we should be there helping her, assuring her that we're going to help bear that burden mm-hmm. with her, whether that means... Uh, How does she know she can come to you? What do you tell her beforehand, before we need this to be, ever happens? Well, we need to be proclaiming that in the pulpit. So you would say from your pulpit, hey... Young ladies, yeah. young men, don't commit fornication. Don't commit adultery. Right. Don't do these things. But, but if you do if you have, and it results in a pregnancy, please yep. come to us. Absolutely. Don't, don't think you need to cover this up like David did. Yep, absolutely. And woe to us if that never comes off our pulpit, honestly. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you, if you walked through our church building, you would see various signs and... and indications of fundraisers and events and whatnot for crisis pregnancy centers and and outreaches like that because we need to be uh, participating you know we're not only ministering to those in the church we're ministering to those in the community and God's people need to be out there providing counsel providing concrete help you know diapers and cribs Mm. and car seats and education and and just support walking alongside of people now, that's one thing uh, Christians have done a great job with, and yep. the other side will present it as though, oh, you don't care about the baby after hmm. they're born. There are three, for every abortion clinic in America, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's in America or in Michigan, so somebody out there can uh, c- call in and correct me, uh, but uh, it's either in America or in Michigan, for every abortion clinic, 
there are three pregnancy resource centers. Absolutely. That means Christians have created three times as many uh, places of refuge for pregnant women as, uh, as Planned Parenthood or anybody else has created places where they can conveniently kill their baby. And I dare you to go to Planned Parenthood and say, I, need he- I want to keep my baby. Uh, I need help with diapers or I need help with rent or I need help with a car seat. Right. Do you think they're going to provide for your oh. kid till you're, till you're three, four years old? No. But the ladies at the pregnancy center will. The people at Grace United Reformed Church will. Absolutely. Now, Pastor, I know there's so much more that could be said about this. I want to get to the next question, the doctrinal well, question. Just, just oh. really quickly, I Go would ahead. point out, you know, fear is a, a big motivator, but increasingly we're seeing as a motivator um, hard-heartedness. Mm. And that's just selfishness. You know, they know that it's a baby. Yeah. And, and we're seeing this because of the secularization of society. They know it's a baby and they don't care. Sure, and we've had people say that to us, at, yeah. whether it be at protests or whether it be people who, who, who write lovely letters to write to Life of Michigan. Mm-hmm. They'll say things. We know this is a baby and I don't care. Yeah. And there are people, and at that point, it's not a matter of trying to change their mind. It's not a matter of, uh, of trying to help them. Some people are evil. Yeah. And some people uh, are unashamed of yeah. being evil. And, th- and then that has to be included in the answer here. It's not all good people out there who are scared. There are no. also people who just want to do bad things. But I think in that case, the church can then, and again, by the church, I mean even individually, we can call them to repent. Yeah. You know, we can we can appeal to their conscience and say, you need to understand, you will one day stand before the judge and answer for killing your baby. We're willing to walk with you through adoption or through raising this child. We're willing to help. You have no excuse. Now come with us and we'll stand beside you. Who knows but that the Lord might use that to soften their hearts. Absolutely. You can't call somebody to repentance if you don't call call it a sin. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Now, and that's a big theme in the in the book that I wanted to talk about. Yep, I, yep. I wanted to talk about the book of Jeremiah and the whole the whole if there is a if there is a one theme in Jeremiah's uh, messages, it is that repentance was needed. Yep. Uh, and so, Pastor, I wanted to ask you, the Bible frequently talks about innocent blood. Mm-hmm. It, it's mentioned in, uh, in the law about taking innocent blood. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned in the book of Jeremiah over and over again, I think at least, at least six times. Um, and then in 2 Kings chapter 24, the Bible says that Judah was judged for the innocent blood that I believe it was Manasseh mm-hmm. uh, filled Jerusalem with. Now, is there any correlation? Do you think that that relates to this issue of abortion? I think it does. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't be asking the question. But I want to hear your opinion and kind of uh, uh, give us give us some thoughts on how the book of uh, Jeremiah and these other references to innocent blood relate to what's going on now. I think um, I think a lot of what we're seeing in America is the consequence of the shedding of innocent blood. I mean, um, does America have one sin? No. Hmm. You know, uh, we have a multitude. However... How many times in Scripture we hear those two sins laid out, um, you know, especially in, in the books of Kings and Chronicles. We hear, first of all, the idolatry of, you know, they walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which was idolatry. But then, again, that shedding of innocent blood that, you know, they would murder their children. They would sacrifice their children to Molech. Um, they would destroy the widow and the orphan and we're called you know in uh, in Proverbs 24 I was just reading this morning in my devotions providentially 
Um, in Proverbs 24, we're told, deliver those who are drawn toward yeah. death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? You know, I was born in 74. In 73, the year before I was born, abortion was quote-unquote legalized. It wasn't, but, you know, the court invented a supposed uh, constitutional law. That An anti-law. Anti-law, because it was never, it was never, but anyway. Existing laws couldn't be enforced. Aside from that, um, ever since then, the nation as a whole, now, you know, we have had crusaders who have bravely stood up and called the nation to do what was right, and thousands of them, for which I'm so thankful, but the nation as a whole has turned a blind eye Mm. to those stumbling toward death, have just said that's someone else's job, or gee, isn't that terrible, or they've winked and nodded and said, you know, maybe I'll need that someday. And we cannot embrace that kind of hard-heartedness and selfishness and wickedness. It's really a combination of the shedding of innocent blood and the idolatry of self. And we can't, you can't play with fire without getting burned. Hmm. You know, it's no accident that we now have the vast majority of our leaders are self-centered, untrustworthy, never keep their oath. Shocking! That's the morality that we've cultivated and the the apex of it, the the murder of children. Yeah. The the free and open and unashamed murder of children. That we've filled this land from sea to shining sea with innocent blood. And there's a cost to that. Now, that's not to say that there can't be forgiveness, mm-hmm. but the church, and I, I want to lay this firmly on our doorstep. We pray about this rather frequently here at Grace. The church has sinfully been silent through all this. Not all of them. There have been, uh, thankfully, a number of congregations that have, have been open about it. But the church as a whole uh, have far too often, out of fear of division, fear of man, they've been silent. And, you know, that's like the prophets saying, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I've just been reading through Amos and you've got this prophet yelling at Amos and saying, don't you dare preach against the king. Don't you dare preach against Bethel, which is where they committed idolatry and, and child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, go back to your go back to your fields, Amos. And he said, you know, because you've said this, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Your wife is going to be sold into slavery. In other words, the consequence of your sin is going to fall squarely on you. And I think we're seeing that in the church. The, the church is crumbling. COVID saw that. How many of the churches shuttered their doors and never opened them again? You know, well, okay. You know, they because they didn't preach against that shedding of innocent blood. Right. You know, the only hope we have, Second Chronicles 7.14, my people humble themselves and acknowledge their sin and plead with me. He's not he's not talking to the you know, the nation as a whole. They don't they don't know better. They're stumbling to death. It's us who know better, God's people who need to repent of this shedding of innocent blood, repent of our silence, and lead the nation mm-hmm. in seeking the face of the Lord. Now, folks out there, in case, you're, in case you're missing kind of the bigger point here, the reason why Pastor is saying we are the ones who need to repent of this innocent blood is because of what is said in Proverbs 24. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, don't shed innocent blood. It says, uh, woe unto you that forbear, or those of you who hesitate to deliver them that right. are drawn unto death. 
It's not just the person who commits abortion who will fall under the judgment of God. It is the nation that allows this to go on Amen. that will fall under the judgment of God. And it is the church that will allow this to go on that will fall under the judgment of God. Now, Pastor, I want to end on a good note, and we've got just a couple minutes left. Sorry, folks, I wish this could be two hours long because I'm really enjoying the conversation. <laughs> It'll continue even after the podcast is over, I'm sure. Uh, but, Pastor, is there hope for a country like America? How and why do you, how and why do you believe that America will or will not change as it relates to the practice of abortion? Humanly speaking, no hope at all, hmm. you know, because we can't, you know, I, I dislike the old phrase, you can't legislate morality because that's what legislation is. It's an imposition of morality, mm-hmm. you know, but you can't change the heart through legislation. So that's that not to true. say that, that what we do in Lansing or what we do in D.C. isn't important. It very much is. Uh, but that won't change the heart. What will change the heart is, and the only, really the only hope for our nation, is the church on its knees. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. We need to be pleading with God that he would change the heart of our nation, that he would soften the heart of our countrymen to their sin, and that he would open the lips of those who know better. And that's us. Don't look to your minister and say, why aren't you evangelizing? I mean, he should be. But it's not just his job, and it's not just the elder's job. It's, it's our job as Christians to go out and tell the people that sin makes us miserable, that Christ delivers us from sin, and that when Christ delivers us, he changes everything. That's the only hope our nation has. But Amen. if our nation would, you know, if, if the church would open its lips and, and fall to its knees, God, God is merciful. And, you know, he has promised, he promised in Ezekiel, if, if uh, there's a nation that is dwelling in sin, was it Ezekiel or it might have been Jeremiah? It's Jeremiah 18, I that think, might Jeremiah. be what you're thinking of. Um, that, you know, if a nation is, is stumbling toward their own destruction and they repent, you know, think of Jonah. Jonah gets sent to Nineveh, which was a wicked place. And, and he preached to them that they're going to be destroyed and they repented. And as soon as they repented, God put his judgment aside. He's willing to do that. He's a merciful God. But we need to call them to turn to him. That's the hope. Amen. So I, I, I would just kind of echo that. America can change, mm-hmm. but we are America. So we need to change. Amen. And we'll see that change come about. And God will, uh, God will not judge us for a sin that we've repented of. God will hold us accountable for the sin we refuse to repent of. So, Pastor, let's, uh, let's both pray to that end. Amen. Folks, this has been the Life Beat Podcast. Thank you for being with us.